Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking today about pasture crop protection programs and we get a lot of questions about range and pasture land and what can we do to make things more productive. One of the first steps is taking care of the weeds, making sure there's nothing growing out there that's going to use up water and nutrients and catch sunlight and those types of things and take away from your yield, just like we talk about in row crop ground. Brian, when we think about pasture weed control or pasture crop protection, I should say crop protection, not just weed control. There's a lot more than weeds that can be a problem out in a pasture. Yeah, weeds, insects, diseases, lots of issues potentially. But, I mean, let's be honest. How many farmers have ever sprayed a fungicide on their pasture ground? And how many farmers have ever sprayed or ranchers have ever sprayed an insecticide out there? So those are not real common practices. But I think the whole point here, and the reason why we wanted to talk about this a little bit today, is just think about how well you treat your corn or your cotton or your wheat or whatever crop it is. The more you put into it, the more you get out. And we'll say the exact same thing when it comes to pastures. If you put a lot into it, a lot of effort, a lot of investment into it, you can do unbelievably well. So we just encourage you, think about your pasture more like a crop and you should do better with that. But when when we talk about weed control, because that really is the number one thing that a lot of people are discussing when it comes to pastures, I would just say you got a lot of options. Some have lots of residual, some have almost no residual. So it just depends on what your long-term plan for that pasture is. But if it's going to remain pasture ground, the only reason why you might consider not spraying something long-term, like a milestone, a tordon, a chaparral, would just be because you don't want to spend the money. But let me just encourage you to think about it this way. With milestone, tordon, and chaparral, I will guarantee you there will be some residual the following year, and in some cases, residual for several years. So it may not control every weed in the pasture a year from now, but if it even suppresses a few weeds, that's a big advantage for you. Because think about like in your crop ground, if weeds start coming up and are competing with your crop real early in the season, you know you're behind. You know you've lost yield. Well, Think about your pasture. Are you there right away when the weeds pop up? No. You wait and let a lot of weeds come up, which I'm not saying is necessarily right or wrong. I'm just saying the more weeds you have, the less grass production you'll have. So if you can even suppress some of the weeds next year, you're way ahead. So this is part of the reason why so many people invest a little extra money and go with one of these long-term products. Again, like Tordon, Milestone, and Chaparral, they're all fantastic. No, Brian, when we were talking about this to begin with, and you mentioned, I don't know anybody that really sprays fungicide on pastures, but I, I think about lawns and how many times people will walk through a lawn or walk through just the, the grass around the barn or wherever, and they get rust on their shoes. And they say, huh, how come my shoes are turning orange walking through the grass? We see the same thing out in pastures, that, that there are diseases that can impact different species that we have, and we can certainly improve the tolerance to things like drought. Look at last year, look at our cornfields that we sprayed with fungicide, how much healthier they were, how much greener they were. Why would the same thing not hold true with grass pastures if we can do things that we can influence how the plant health is? It's got to make a difference. 
Well, yes, it can, absolutely. But in a lot of pasture situations, we have, let's, let's just call it wide open spaces. And so the wind moves through a lot more as opposed to lawn. Maybe, maybe, Brian, but you look at how much ground is farmed now in some of these areas. The only place there's a pasture is the low ground and the rough ground. Well, true, true. Good point. Yeah, that's a good point. And if you don't have, well, if there's lots of soil moisture, then obviously you're more prone to having diseases. But this is like we say with crop production. We just tell you, try some new things on your farm or try some new things in your pasture. Try them on a small scale first and just see if that fungicide application could actually gain you some more pounds of material. If you can gain extra tonnage with your grass production, then it very well might be worth it. And I, I guess I'd also encourage you to think about what grass hay is worth anymore when corn prices go up and soybean prices go up. Well, hay ends up following. So this grass is worth a lot of money, and that's why we're talking about all this stuff today. Yeah, it is really important, and every acre is worth so much money on your farm. Getting the most out of it is really important, and even just for your own enjoyment. I know we talk to a lot of folks who just have an acreage, and they say, you know, I just have a few acres of pasture here, no big deal, got a couple of horses or, or a couple of animals out there just, just for the fun of it. Well, don't you want them to do the best? Don't you want them to be the healthiest? Having the healthiest food for them and a great environment for them to live in is really important, too. Right, absolutely. And I, I would just say on the insect end of things, here again, we don't see many people treating, but sometimes when you're out in that pasture, you will find bugs. Now, whether it's grasshoppers that are going to destroy your grass, or it's some other bug that just shows up and bothers your cattle, I, I'm just saying you can use an insecticide. There are many different products that are labeled out there. So, we, we have to be at least a little bit careful about what the labels say because you can't just go spraying any fungicide or any insecticide or, for that matter, any herbicide. Not everything is labeled. But there are a lot of things that are labeled, a lot of things that are safe around cattle. In some cases, you may have to keep the cattle off for a few days, uh, but you should probably be doing that anyway when you're doing rotational grazing. So just using the rotational grazing, it does make it a lot easier to get some of these treatments done. And before we wrap this segment up, I just want to come back to what I was talking about earlier with weed control. Yep, we got some great long-term residual things, but there are also some good short-term products you can use. A couple I feel are very underutilized, like the new DuraCore. That's really good. That's basically very similar to the old Forefront or Grazon Next, but it's got that new 2,4-D in there, basically, as, or a new 2,4-D replacement product in there. And then there's also Distinct. I really like Distinct. It's status. It's about one-third the price without the corn safener. There's a lot of great choices. That's been a, a nice development with pastures. It used to just be 2,4-D that got talked about. Now there are many other products. We're going to talk about pasture crop protection programs on today's program. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It came in waves, ruthlessly eliminating the toughest, hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide, a new formulation, delivers superior flush-after-flush control of wild oats and green foxtail. And Everest 3.0 is registered for use on yellow foxtail, barnyard grass, Japanese brome, and key broadleaf weeds that can invade your wheat and rob your yields. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. Always read and follow label directions. 
Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about pasture crop protection programs. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, weed control is certainly one of those things that is popping to mind for me right away, of course. I'd love to control the weed of the week, you know that. But I also think about insects, diseases, uh, just having good plant health out there to protect that crop. So we'll, we'll talk about all those things and more. We'll also be taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. And I always bring up the email. I know everyone saw someone else say, man, you guys throw that email address out all the time. Janelle just got a call right right at the start of the show. Somebody said, hey, I got a question for Brandon Darren. She goes, great. No problem. Just hang on here for a second. We'll get you on. He goes, wait a second. I'm on the radio? No, no, no thanks. I don't want to talk on the radio. You don't have to. You can send us an email or you can even give Janelle your question if you want to, if you just want to say, hey, here's what I want to ask him and, and she'll let us know. All right. Uh, let's start off down in Oklahoma. It's got to be warmer than here where it was 10 below this morning. We got Tom on with us. Tom, how you doing? Pretty good. Well, it's got to be good when you say you're comparing against me where it's 10 below zero. That's that's not much fun. A 30 below wind chill here. No, we're not that cold. We're cold, but nothing like that. All right. So you think about pastures and, and taking care of the grass. Does that ever end for you in Oklahoma? Do things go dormant this time of year or do you have to manage things year round? Well, right now the summer grass, the Bermuda grass is dormant. There's a little bit of fescue in this part of the world, but not a lot. Uh, so pretty much all the grass is dormant, and we won't do much weed control until probably late February, March. 
you know, we'll start spraying you, pastures again. Do you target that before everybody's planting in your area? Is that the idea for for a lot of farmers where we're at? It's either they're trying to get out there right before planting if they can, if we get a warm up. But more commonly, guys are saying, "Well, I'm going to plant the corn and then I'll go back to spraying pasture." But it, where does it fall on the priority list there? Well, normally right after we plant corn we'll start planting corn here the middle of march and right in there sometime in the past we've run liquid nitrogen you know 28.05 or 32 percent along with whatever herbicide we were running but i don't know how much fertilizer we're going to be able to put on pastures this year so but we will spray them no matter what yeah, the fertilizer thing is interesting. When nitrogen is a buck a pound and, and hard to come by in some areas, it, it gets you thinking, huh, how, how much do I really want to do? But it also gets me thinking about, okay, well, weed control options, they didn't change in price all that much, Not, nothing like the fertilizer did. I definitely don't want to have any no. weeds taking any of my my fertilizer up. So is it is it grass weeds that you fight in Bermuda grass pastures? Is it broadleaf weeds? What's the worst for it's you? It's broadleaf. Ragweed is is a huge consumer of water, and in a dry country like this, you just always have to worry about it getting turning off dry, and that's why we spray early because you get good weed control. The weeds are actively growing, and if you try to wait till every last weed comes up, it may be too hot and dry to even spray. So we we've been we rotate almost every year. We love Grazon next, and it works pretty well. But it's kind of like I remember when Roundup worked perfect too. So we'll probably we'll probably actually run some dicamba this year because we have green briars that are you know that Grazon next doesn't always get, and they're they're tough to kill. So we run dicamba and crop oil sometimes on them. Not everywhere, just where you got them. Sure, sure. But I'm, I'm, I'm seriously thinking about dicamba just because I hadn't used it in a long time. Right, right. Yeah, I think, you know, we've got all these tools that we, we can do, and if we can mix it up a little bit, rotate between them. Uh, I, I know we think about that, too. Every once in a while, we'll, we'll be talking and say, you know, we've kind of gotten in a rut here. We fell in love with a couple of products. We need to, to use some different things. Brian was just mentioning Distinct. I know that's one of his favorites that has dicamba plus uh, another active ingredient to make the dicamba work even better. Uh, but it costs a little more than the straight dicamba in, in many cases. And then this new DuraCore that's got the 2,4-D replacement product in it has looked pretty good, too. So, yeah, there there are some some premium options that are short-term, but but really do a nice job on, on weed control, too. Okay, so Brian had talked about a little bit before, and I, I was kind of getting after him on this. He said, nobody ever sprays a fungicide out in pasture. Do you ever see any issues with disease? Do you ever see rust or anything else out in the pastures? Not really. And, and what we run into, of course, we spray pretty early and sometimes the Bermuda grass isn't even actively growing because, you know, the nights won't be above 60 degrees. So it's usually that's never an issue. Uh, to be honest with you, that it's kind of like when we did early nitrogen trials with different rates of nitrogen. If you ever were grazing a pasture and you had a check in it, 
uh, it never showed up because, you know, the different different rates of nitrogen 40, 50 years ago, the cows were just eating the, eating the more fertilized grass back to the ground. And that's that's what you kind of run into. You're, you know, they're keeping it grazed off kind of like mowing your yard. And, it, you know, you don't want it to go to seed, not Bermuda grass anyway, unlike native grass. So you kind of, there's really, we're probably going to, actually, we're probably going to spread more lime this year than we have in a while, just because we can't really get anything else. We have access to ag lime, and our pHs tend to run fairly low because we have high rainfall and fairly acidic soil. Okay. Uh, but really, it's just like taking care of a big yard. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. There's, there's no, and no doubt about it. And if you let it get, if you let the grass get too big, it gets rank, and they don't like it. So you want to, you kind of want to hit a happy median there, and 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 not graze it too short, or you hurt it. But you don't really want to let it get away. So as far as putting fungicide or, and and you know you're when you got livestock on it, you're really kind of scared of. You true, know, you, you true. Sure you got to be really fussy about worms. what you can spray yeah. and what you can't. I, no, I agree with you. I, army worms, army worms can be a nightmare. I mean, you you can have army worm outbreaks, and you got to do something for them. Did you get caught with that this year? I know there were quite a few guys that we talked to that army worms were a big deal this year. We didn't because we kind of treat our pastures like range. We're we're kind of native to texas anyway so we don't overgraze they were worse if you'd cut a meta for hay and you really you had real short tender new growth that's where we had people had trouble okay and i don't know if it's true or not there were rumors that some of the lambicide wasn't working too well maybe the worms were resistant because they've used it on army worms for a long time but I, i didn't have any army worm problems Last question for you, Tom. If you don't fertilize, you don't put that boost of N out there early like you normally would, are you expecting any more issues? Because a lot of times that boost of N seems to give the grass a jump, and it gets ahead of the weeds, and it seems like weed control gets to be a lot easier. It does, and if there's any way, we'll run something. We ran a lot of chicken litter in places last year. And hopefully we'll have a little bit of carryover fertilizer from that. But yes, you really need that early in. And and what'll happen to us is we'll probably have to reduce our stocking rate. But it's it's gonna come down to a matter of economics. I mean yeah. you can't you can't you can't spend a hundred dollars an acre on pasture. <laughs> no, no, I I get it. I it's it's uh, it's a tough choice. Well, and that's the thing this year, and, and I know a lot of people in the media are saying, oh, boy, these farmers, they have these great crop prices. Yes, but that leads to high fertilizer prices, which makes it a challenge for everybody, too. Hey, Tom, we got to run. Really appreciate all the insight today. You brought up a couple topics I hadn't thought about, too. So thank you so much, and good luck to you this year. Have a good day. Thank you. You bet. You as well. We're talking about pasture crop management programs on today's program. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, 
with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. This message is for all the corn and soybean growers out there who aren't made of money. If you're using a fungicide other than Zolera FX from UPL, you should know that no corn and soybean fungicide gives you a better return on investment, period. Zolera FX has two high-performance actives delivered at full rates for maximum performance and ROI in corn and soybeans. To see the data, go to ZoleraFX.com and always read and follow label directions. This is a wake-up call for you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob your yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop. Register now at agphd.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844 44 AgPhD. You can always email us as well, radio at agphd.com. Got our friend Trevor Dale on with us right now with Valent. And Trevor, we're talking pasture crop protection programs and one of the things that you can do to help your pasture the most is get a good early start and keep your plant healthy uh, i know you got a few solutions to talk about here and i got a few questions for you around rise up smart grass and others so where do you want to start trevor uh, well i like that one rise up smart grass i guess that one was what i was thinking of and then the prior caller was talking about army worms so uh we can go there as well. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's start with Rise Up because we get so many questions about gibberellic acid and what you can do to get plants off to an early start. And this doesn't just uh, 
apply to pastures. This could certainly be a silage corn or, or small grains or, or different things. But but today we're talking pastures. So when would you time uh, a gibberellic acid application? And then for growers who are considering doing this for the first time, because pasture is worth a ton and the grass is worth a ton. Hay is worth a lot. So it's, it's worth trying this and you're going to see a difference. But how should you set up a trial for a, for a farmer or ranch that wants to do it? Sure. So it, it's there. It's going to depend a little bit where the you know if our caller was in Texas, his timing is going to be a little bit different than uh, uh, Iowa, for example. But in the spring, um, when the grass is just starting to break dormancy or start to regrow, um, right around that time is what we've found is a is a optimum timing for rise up. And I was thinking about this. You know, at the beginning of the call or uh, beginning of the show, Brian was talking about you, you kind of get it out of it what you put into it. And grass, hey, I heard the other day is almost as much as alfalfa, to your point of the value of it. Um, so it's not something we can just put on rise up and that's, you know, going to make everything, you know, your whole, your topics on fertility and your weed control. Um, you want to have those things taken care of as well. Yeah, no, no doubt um, about that. We, we, I was looking through some data. At three years, the University of Nebraska, three-year average 937-pound increase. Well, rise up at $3.5 an acre, maybe three seventy-five is a, it's a, definitely worth it right now. Yeah. Yeah. It won't take much to get a return on investment. I totally agree. No. And if you've got some grass, this is certainly something to try early in the season. And then we'll talk about it more as we get towards fall again, because it's certainly something that we've done in the fall to keep cattle out on pasture longer. We've seen good success with the guys that have been doing that too. Trevor, we almost always see a very noticeable and almost immediate response of taller grass. Sometimes that grass looks a little bit lighter. I know when I did my little experiment to cross my brother's front yard, which I know he still, he still tries to deny that that happened, but uh, if you ask his wife, she will definitely say, no, no, no. Something definitely happened to the yard that year. But we got so much more grass growth on Brian's yard. It just was a little bit lighter color. So I think our fertility program maybe needs to, to work with that too. Maybe we need to put a little more N on early because it didn't go on with the fertilizer application. Maybe it should. What do you recommend? Yeah, so that, that's going back to my point where you you have to have some nutrients there. And, and even with that, you might see a little bit of yellowing or flashing for a few days just because the grass's growth has taken off very rapidly. And it just takes, you know, a three, four days or something like that um, for the nutrients to catch up and, and get into the plant. So it's still the the quality of the grass is is not affected at all um it's just a minor cosmetic for a couple of days and uh the grass takes off like crazy in in the case of a pasture where you want it to for hungry cows <laughs> not so much in brian's yard probably with somebody mowing it no but. it's it keeps him busy though trevor and you know how brian gets he needs something to keep him busy otherwise he gets on my nerves so that worked out sure, pretty good yeah. that year Okay, let me ask you about another. Let me ask you about another biological or natural product because we talk about gibberellic acid. It's a natural 
thing. It's a natural growth hormone. It can be used anywhere, right? It can be used in organic pasture operations too, correct? Yes, yes. It's organic uh, certified. And uh, Rise Up Smart Grass is made in Iowa too. Awesome. All right. How about endoprime? How about mycorrhizal fungi? Is this something that has applications in pasture or rangeland too? You know, I'm going to say I, I don't think so at this point in time. I, I don't know that we've looked at it, it uh, because that's typically not uh, tillage. It's continuous grass, and so the mycorrhizae population is probably sufficient in that uh, um, in a pasture, but it definitely is in, in like alfalfa. Well, let me let me ask you. Here's here's why I was thinking about this because we've gotten some questions where growers had seen good response using mycorrhizal fungi on row crops, and in the same areas they said, "Look, we had extreme drought, and we've had it for a year and a half, and I know that's got to be detrimental to some of the the living things in soil, just like it is to the living things that are trying to grow in the soil unsuccessfully in those kind of situations coming out of extreme drought or extreme, uh, heavy rain type situations. I just wonder what, what kind of potential there might be. Yeah. You know, and, and I know we were looking at that in the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, the, the big issue there would be getting it down in the root zone. Um, we were looking at over-the-top applications and seeing if that was a viable option. And you know what? I'd, I'll have to check into that. I I haven't heard. Yeah, just, but yeah, just I guess a thought. To, to your point, conditions are not favorable to them, and the, and the grass was really kind of dead for a significant amount of time. So um, <clears throat> that is a good uh Good question. All right. So speaking about dead grass, you had mentioned armyworms, and uh, our last caller, Tom, uh, down in the Oklahoma, Texas area, had said armyworms are a big concern some years. Talk to us about the armyworms a little bit. Well, so then last year I had calls from all over up in Iowa and Minnesota. I mean, ar- armyworms are really bad. And, uh, you know, he mentioned the uh, pyrethroid, maybe not as not controlling it as well. And we know from other crops that armyworm uh, are resistant to pyrethroids, at least somewhat. And I remember back in my tech rep uh, days, uh, cabbage and things like that in the south, they were mixing dipel with uh, a pyrethroid and getting much better control than the pyrethroid alone. Yeah, so, I, I was just that, noticing Valent was option. was tweeting out some information about Dipel. Uh, I noticed that here uh, earlier today. I saw, oh, they're talking uh-huh. Dipel today, and uh, we're, <laughs> we're talking about pastures. I don't know if they were watching what we were doing, Trevor, or if that just happened to be coincidence. <laughs> I I don't know. I guess I haven't caught that on Twitter yet, <laughs> to be honest. So. Yeah, there's always something. They you could know, be tracking you. They might be. They might be. You never know. Yeah. You never know. All right. Yeah. Uh, last question I got for you, Trevor. We only got about a minute before this commercial break. Uh, everybody's nervous about their ag chem supplies this year. And, man, a lot of farmers making early decisions just to make sure they don't get caught. What are you hearing around the country? You get to work a pretty big area. Uh, does it sound like we're going to have plenty of options to control weeds? Yeah, I, I think so. They might be, you know, just different than they were in prior years um you know i'm telling people to you know in the past couple few years we've always had people where we'll do it post-emerge and that's not a really good idea this year (laughs) 
I think we go pre's and strong pre's and then, you know, come in crop with residuals. Um, if it's corn, beans, or whatever crop you can to just get the most out of the the little bit of either Liberty or Roundup that you have, because in most cases, if people have some, they're only going to get one application. Yeah. yeah so I, I my Don't skip the pre. Advice is no, and keep keep the weeds from coming out of the ground. Nope, that's always good advice, but yeah, especially so here in 2022. Talking with Trevor Dale with Valent. Trevor, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks, Darren. We're talking about pasture crop protection programs on today's show and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Farming is probably the most natural thing for a person to do. It taught me how to take pride in my work, how to put something ahead of myself, whether it was getting up early to feed the livestock or working late to bring in the harvest. Farming taught me to give it my best, no matter the job. My name is Tanner. I'm a farmer. I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13 for 13 at farmshopmfg.com. 
come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. Let's say to Ag PhD Radio, we are in the Ag PhD mailbag time. That means we're taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the rest of the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got this from JH in North in the northeastern United States. Uh, said, I got some, uh, some weed control issues in my organic vegetable garden. It's a grass weed that's just taken over and choked out other plants, and now it's spreading out into the lawn and the rock walls and so forth. I'm uh, just wondering if there's anything that you can come up with. I tried black plastic over a, a section, and it just reached right around that. Uh, I tried putting some vinegar on. Uh, nothing seems to be working that I'm trying. Any idea what I can do to stop this invasive grass? All right, Brian. Oh, I think I got you on mute, which, man, I was wondering, why is it so nice and quiet in here? But I guess Brian was yeah. just muted there for a minute. But, you know, when you think about these grasses, Brian, if you're in an organic situation, it does make it a lot more challenging. Herbicides yep. do have a nice place uh, when you can use them selectively. And I get it. You may not want to spray herbicides over your garden, and there probably aren't very many that you can do. But when it comes to, he, he just asked a question, is there a pre-emerge, post-emerge option for vegetables if I have to go non-organic? Uh, you know, the biggest ones I look at are preen, which is the active ingredient, trifluralin, or anything with the active ingredient, metolachlor. Those are two of the better ones. But I think one of the challenges and they're here- labeled on most, and they're labeled on many different vegetables. You have to be a little bit careful, but they are labeled on many different vegetables. Those are pre-emerge products. So in terms of post-emerge, that's where it gets really tricky. There aren't a lot of options. There would be something like clethodim potentially, or even if you were to spray Roundup underneath any foliage, but you'd have to be unbelievably careful, so I wouldn't be comfortable with that. Yeah, I see some people using a, a mulch of different types uh, in between right. the rows of crops and stuff, yep. trying to choke things out. That can yep. help, but I, I get it. If you end up with some weed seed in, in that mulch or you use mulch from your lawn or something like that, you could end up bringing more weeds into the equation. So that's a that's an issue. And then the other thing is just looking at that grass. Is it an early emerger where it's coming up when it's cool or is it one that's a warm season grass? A lot of times what I see is the warm season grasses really taking advantage of these situations and being opportunistic. So that can make it a challenge too, because even if you are using a pre, you may not have great control on a crabgrass or something that comes up later in the season like that. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure from the pictures what we're looking at. Uh, it does look a little bit like crabgrass to me, but but there are a lot of grass plants that look similar to that. So without, uh, I don't have a great amount of experience in organic production with other types of things. Like you mentioned, using vinegar, I I would have no idea what else kind of product like that to use. But uh, yeah, if it was me, I would try the tarp like you did. I would also try the mulch. And if none of that worked in tillage and you couldn't stay ahead of it by pulling the weeds or tilling, then I'd be looking at a herbicide. All right. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. Uh, we get a lot of these types of questions too, Brian. This one comes in from Steven and he said, I'm just curious uh, if you look at a gallon of a liquid fertilizer, like a 624.6, how do you convert that into dry fertilizer weight? How much would that gallon be putting in furrow compared to a 
using a dry fertilizer and what numbers would you need to know in order to determine the fertilizer weight in that product? I only need to know two numbers. It's exactly that. What's the weight of the product? And then so to, per gallon, per well, gallon, how much does right. it weigh? Per gallon, what's the weight? And then what's my analysis? So in that example, six twenty four six. Okay, just take the first number. It's say six percent nitrogen. Well, let's just say as an example that that weighs ten pounds per gallon. It doesn't, but just say that it did for easy figuring. You just take six percent times the 10 pounds, and that would mean that for every gallon going out there, you've got uh, 6% of 10 pounds, which is 0.6 pounds of actual nitrogen that would be going out there. All right. Well, thanks for the question, Stephen. We really appreciate it. Uh, this one comes in from Connor, and he said, first of all, I'd like to tell you guys I, I love your show. Uh, my question today is regarding the valuation of rented land. I'm from West Texas, and I didn't grow up on a farm, but here in the near future, I'll have an opportunity to start buying in and eventually fully purchasing an operation. Now, it's easy to put a value on owned land and equipment, but what's the best way to put a value on rented land. These are 75-25 rental agreements for varying lengths of time, some irrigated, some dry land. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I think the key word that he used there is easy. What's the easy way? There, There isn't an easy way because you just don't know and crop markets vary from one year to the next. Yields vary a lot from one year to the next. That's why a lot of people don't get into farming because of the risk that's involved. But if it's me, I'm going to look at, and, and let's say I hadn't been a farmer, what I would do is I would look at in the area, what are some of the averages? So a lot of times there, you'll find some statistics locally, there will be some surveys done. Otherwise, you just start talking to some farmers and find out, okay, what kind of average yield do you get? What do you have to spend to put the crop in and all that kind of thing? But until you actually get into it, it's going to be really hard to determine because I don't know, you know, what products you want to use and what kind of equipment you have and that kind of thing. So I don't know if I'm helping a whole lot here, but I'm just saying it's kind of a complicated question. I will just tell you that yesterday I was talking to the son of one of our landlords, or uh, this one landlord we have is 96 years old, going to be 97 this spring. But anyway, <laughs> well, I, when I was talking to him yesterday, I said, yep, your mom has come out, I think like nine years out of the last 10 ahead with this share rent deal as opposed to what average cash rent would be in the area. So, I mean, I'm not saying we're the greatest farmers in the world or anything, but the practices we've used have really helped her. And so like in that case, for example, we're not only giving her more money than normal cash rent, but we're also building up her soil at the same time. And, and it's a share rent kind of agreement, not exactly your percentage is there or anything, but I, I, I'm just saying this is a complicated question. It's really going to vary depending on the area, the crops, the equipment, the knowledge of the person. I, I mean, you name it. So lots to lots to unravel there. All right. Thanks for the question. Good luck to you, Connor. Congratulations getting a getting a shot to get into farming. That's a, it's a pretty good ride. It's pretty fun. All right. Uh, this one from Allie, and Allie said, "I'm wondering, could you guys?" do more, uh, make more videos and so forth around controlled drainage systems? Well, with controlled drainage systems, let me just say this. There are ways, there's, 
there are these drainage water management systems, they'll call them. Basically, you're able to shut off tile lines. And if that's specifically what we're talking about here, it's a fairly simple thing to discuss. The number one thing that I would say, or the number one question I would have is, how deep are your tile lines? As an example, on our farm, a lot of our tile lines are three feet deep. So if you think about that, in between the tile lines, the water table will be a little higher than three feet. Let's call it two and a half in between my tile lines. Okay, so if let's say they're 50 feet apart at the 25 foot mark, so right in between, the water table's at two and a half. If you shut the tile line off, then you're going to raise the water table, okay? Which doesn't necessarily sound bad. You go, oh, in the off season, I'll just raise the water table. I'll store more water in there. But my concern with that becomes, all right, if I'm already at two and a half feet in some areas and I raise that water table another foot and a half, I'm only a foot away from the soil surface meaning I've got some live microbes today that are in that zone. And if I flood them, they're going to die. So I'm not super excited about that with shallow tile like what we do. Now, if you've got your tile line at five, six, eight, we have one tile line, a main line goes clear down to like, I don't remember whether it's 15 feet in the ground, 14 feet in the ground. Well, sure, I'll shut that off. I, it's no big deal. I can raise the water table several feet and it affects nothing. But you got to be really careful. That's probably the number one piece of caution I have for closing up that tile line. We don't want to get the water table too high. All right. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. And we'll continue taking your calls and agronomic questions right after this short break. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market claiming to improve soil health and plant development. But what's right for your farm? That's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products. We want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to helping you understand soils and making your own fertility recommendations, and much more. There's great information here that we want to share with you. So to learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it all with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. 
We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of Burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds. Even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now... You can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Brian, did you get the soil samples I sent you? Yep. For Jeff down in Nebraska. Okay, so yep. Jeff yep. Jeff said, I listen to your radio show all the time. I've learned a lot. I'm an organic farmer, uh, but I'm actually in Ontario, not Nebraska. Okay, sorry, Jeff. Uh, he said, <laughs> <laughs> attached to three of my farm soil samples. They're all tile-drained. And I'm concerned about high pH, tying up available phosphates. So I've been putting elemental sulfur out there at a rate of 100 to 200 pounds an acre to lower pH over a period of years, but just hasn't seemed to do much. My crop rotation's corn, so oh, it soft red winter. When I, am I looking at the same thing here? Because everything I see here is low pH. You gave me a summary sheet, and it's low where it says Jeff from Nebraska. Then I got another one. Uh, that does say Ontario, and that one I see is in the sevens. So ah. which one am I looking at here? Well, there's three different two fields. Different one? They must be two different ones. Could be, could be. Let's see, because, yeah, it's even different labs. Oh. So anyway, yep. okay. So, so all right, I'm so looking at the stuff that says Ontario. Okay, there we go. So I, I got that, so go ahead. Okay, so he said, I've, I've been putting elemental sulfur out 100, 200 pounds, not seeming to do much in my corn, soybean, soft red winter wheat rotation. I apply five tons of composted broiler manure every three years. My questions are, uh, is there a good way for me to raise manganese levels other than foliar applications? Uh, I'm doing all in-furrow and broadcast applications right now. And will uh, will I raise my phosphate levels using rock phosphate? Uh, is that effective? And let's see. I think that's the main fertility questions he had, other than just anything else you see that could help improve production. Sure. So the first thing is don't get too terribly hung up on soil pH. Soil pH is just the result of something else being off in your soil. The thing that I see is, you got really, really, really high calcium levels, like 90 plus percent, almost 95%, 93% average. So it's unbelievably high in terms of calcium. And that's maybe why you have such high soil pH. In terms of parts per million, you're in the 5,000s for calcium. So it's a lot. So I'm not that worried about the pH, but I am concerned about a couple of other things. So let's start with this your potassium levels are really, really low. And I realize if you listen to our radio show on a regular basis, you're probably like, 
Oh, man, he's talking about potassium again. Yes, because we see a lot of stuff in the ones. When you're in the ones or maybe two for base saturation K, then that is just simply not enough. So this is heavy soil, 20 to 30 CEC, and we've got, uh, we have around 200, 250 parts per million of potassium, but it's just flat out not enough in ratio with the calcium. And I would say adding some magnesium out there is probably going to help you a little bit too because your magnesium percentages are 5%. So the odds that adding some K, I mean like some extra K and some extra magnesium, that is going to help you in time. So I just make sure you're on a build program with those nutrients. Now, in terms of the two questions specifically, manganese, how do you raise those levels? I mean, the cheapest way is just with manganese sulfate if you want to do that. We did a bunch of that on our own farm, so you could certainly apply that. But I will caution you, I don't know what tests are being run here. With a DTPA test, it could show dramatically lower than a Malik 3 test. We're going to talk about this at our, our soils clinic coming up next week, where we switched over on our farm from DTPA test to Malik 3 test because the DTPA wasn't adequately reflecting or accurately reflecting what we actually had for manganese out in that soil. We'd get a Malik 3 test of 150 parts per million, and the DTPA was showing 5 or 10. Well, that's an enormous disparity. So I don't. if you're running a, a DTPA test here on manganese, I'd encourage you just run a Malik 3 test on the manganese, even in a couple spots and just see if you actually have more manganese there than you think. If you want to try applying some manganese, there are lots of ways to do it. Like I said, manganese sulfate, you could just broadcast. If you want to use some manganese in furrow or something, you can do that. You can foliar feed it. Lots of ways to put it on. As for the phosphorus question and rock phosphorus, yes, that absolutely can get tied up in that high pH. Your phosphorus levels aren't ridiculously high, but they certainly are not low. You've got a lot of 50 to 100 parts per million levels on phosphorus. So what I'm curious about is if you're having issues in plant tissue analysis, if you're having issues where you see purple crop real early on in the season, things like that. So then that would cause me to say, yeah, I'm, I, I must be getting a lot of tie up there because I have a fair amount in my soil, not crazy high, but at least I have a fair amount. And it's just for whatever reason, not getting in the plant. Well, that reason is probably just the tie up with that excess calcium you're dealing with. In terms of adding that elemental sulfur, I'm fine with that as long as you have good drainage out there. If you don't have that ground tiled though, and you have poor drainage, then elemental sulfur isn't going to help you much. But the rate that you're putting on is not crazy high. It's 100 to 200 pounds well, it, it, I don't know what, what source you're getting for elemental sulfur, but if you have a good source that'll break down fast, it's still going to take a long time. It's going to take months to break down. If you have a poor source that has big particles that don't dissolve well, it could take you five or six or eight years for all that elemental sulfur to break down. And your crop needs sulfur, and that's the one thing that I don't see on here, and maybe, maybe it's on here and I'm just missing it. Uh, but I don't see sulfur levels in it. Oh, yeah, there I do. Oh, we're on the side. Okay, they're low. So you got nine parts per million on one, 18 on another. So you're low. So my point is either that elemental sulfur isn't coming available or it's getting used up. If you're raising a good crop, you're going to use a fair amount of sulfur. So don't think that, oh, my pH didn't go down, so my sulfur, it was just a waste of money. Probably wasn't. Your, your crop probably needed some of that sulfur. But again, I'd really look at the source. 
So those would be my comments. All right. Thanks for the question there. Got this one in from Nick, and he says, wondering uh, about the scholarships that, that I hear that you talk about giving out. Where can I apply for those, or where is my best place to uh, to get involved? Yeah, so the scholarships that we do at IPHD are at our, we're going to call it our Scouting and Scholarships event next June, or this coming June. It'll be the last Saturday in June. You can look up more information on our website, agphd.com. But anyway, we are targeting that day. It's on a Saturday, but we're targeting that day as geared around, let's call it beginning farmers. So if you're an experienced farmer, you can certainly come. But if you are in college, then we are going to be awarding a number of college scholarships. And I don't remember what the number is, but I mean, it's a big number. It's 20 or 30 or more, I think. Do you remember the number, Darren? I don't either off the top of my head, but it's a lot. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's for people who attend that event and you have to be there in person. Can't watch it on, on screen or whatever because it's outside mostly where we're actually out in fields right at our Ag PhD field day site showing young farmers how to scout, how to treat, how to hopefully improve the crop in a hands-on setting. All right. Thanks for the question, Nick. We really appreciate that. And again, just, just check out agphd.com. Keep an eye on that as, as we'll be posting that soon. Uh, I get this one in from Rose. Uh, we were talking about gibberellic acid use in pastures and other situations today. And she said, how much gibberellic acid do I use per one liter of water or per gallon of water? Actually, Rose, it's more by the, by the amount of land that we're treating. In most cases, it's a per acre or per hectare rate that, that we're using. But the the challenge is I'm not exactly sure where you're at and there's so many different products out there. So they aren't super expensive. You're probably going to spend somewhere from three to $10, depending on what you're doing and, and what crop and so forth. But uh, it's generally a per acre or per hectare uh, rate instead of a per liter or per gallon rate. I uh, got one in from Colin. He said, uh, just wanted to make a comment about tillage that he said it's it can be a challenging in a lot of ways. I haven't been doing tillage because I'm worried about erosion. I'm worried about hurting all the microbial activity going on in the soil and so forth. Totally agree, Colin. There's there's a lot of risk whenever you're doing anything in farming. There's there's good things and there's challenging things about everything, and, and tillage is no different. Uh, Tom says, uh, can you explain, generally speaking, how you determine a reasonable stocking rate for a pasture? But that's a big question, Tom, and it really varies depending on where you're at. A lot of it comes down to rainfall and how fast and how long during the season you can grow grass. So I just want to make sure there's going to be enough feed for the amount of animals they want to put out there and for the amount of time they want to have those animals in the pasture. Thanks for the question, Tom. We really appreciate that. Thanks to you for listening to the show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.